as we get started and as we get going. I have um, an unusual topic today, and uh, I kind of, in, in a sense, want to just speak from my heart. Uh, I kind of want to speak from my heart. And uh, my topic today is called Uncomfortable Peace. My topic today is called Uncomfortable Peace. Uncomfortable Peace. I think uh, that there is a peace in God that we can reach and that we can come to that we even feel uncomfortable to be in. Um, God's peace is not like man's peace. It's not like it's not like the world. It's not like how the world gives. Um, even even as Jesus speaks and he says, this joy that I give you, it's nothing like the world gives. It's nothing like the world hands out. This joy is different. I believe that the peace of God is also different. The peace that he gives us and the rest that he gives us and everything that we are and in everything that we do is completely different. And um, I think more than ever, a lot of us in this season, we need the peace of God. We need the peace of God. Uh, and I couldn't help but get this story out of my spirit, um, the story of Paul and Silas. And we know about Paul and Silas because they were uh, two apostles that were actually traveling, ministering, doing all those things for God. And they were living in an age where Christianity was not loved. Christianity was not was not accepted. Uh at this time, I believe Christians were getting burned at the stake and getting crucified and different things of that nature. And so Christians weren't loved. Christians weren't accepted at this time. Christians weren't even thought of to be people to be admired after. They were very persecuted. And there's a story in the Bible about how one day Paul and Silas went down to a place of prayer and they saw a damsel who had a spirit of divination. Now, this, this girl who had a spirit of divination would come up. And every day she would she would, I guess, prophesy to them and she would give them the word of the Lord. And uh, what she would say to them is these men are the great are a great men of God. They've come to tell you how you can be saved. Now, what she was saying wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong in anything that she was saying. She wasn't wrong even in, you know, what she was, you know, I guess, in, even in her approach. But the spirit where she was speaking from was wrong. The spirit from which she was speaking from was wrong. It was evil. She had a demonic spirit. It was a spirit of divination. She was like a psychic or a witch. Well, one day Paul gets vexed and then the Bible says he casts the devil out of her. And she's completely free. She's completely, completely set free. She's no longer a witch. She's no longer anything like that. And the Bible says the people who she was making money for were extremely ticked off. And eventually they formed up a mob, according to Acts chapter 16, verse 22. They formed up a mob and this mob came against Paul and Silas and the city officials had ordered that they be, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. So Paul and Silas were beaten nearly to death. And the Bible says in verse 23, this is the New Living Translation, Acts 16, verse 23. It says they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. Acts 16, verse 23. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. And then uh, then the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. The Bible says now, in verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake 
and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner, of every prisoner, fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his swords to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what do I have to do to be, to be saved? They, re they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer. Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. I think this story points out how illogical Christianity is. I remember talking to y'all last time and I had the same hat on last time I was talking to y'all. And when I talked to y'all, I said that Christianity, believing in God, is illogical. It's illogical. It goes against logic. Everything that God asks you to do, it goes against logic. And I think this story points out just how illogical Christianity can be. Just how illogical what God asks of us a lot of times is. The Bible says that Paul and Silas are beaten, severely beaten. That means in critical condition, they're beaten so bad. They're beaten and they're put in, uh, they're put, excuse me, in the inner parts of the dungeon. They're put in a dungeon where it's dank, it's damp, it's wet. It's not like our prison conditions, which is luxury compared to what they went into. Rats are crawling around. There's feces on the ground, different things of that nature. And they are stripped naked and beaten to where their skin is in ribbons. And they're bruised, they're, scar they're, they're scarred, their bones are even bruised. They are beat within an inch of themselves. And the Bible says that while they're sitting in there being beaten or sitting there having been beaten and they're only in there for preaching the gospel, they're only in there for doing the right thing, they're only in there for doing what God burdened them to do. The Bible says they're in there and they're beaten. And they start to sing praises around midnight. And I think that speaks to the illogical side of Christianity. The illogical side of what God asks us to do. Why in my lowest moment, why in my worst moment would you ask me to sing? Or would you have me sing? Why is it that they found joy in the most painful situation that they had endured up to this point, it seems? Why did they have to sing and find joy in those things? And I think it's not that they were superheroes. Really hear my heart as I talk. I think that it's not that they were superheroes. I don't think that they had a different set of feelings that we had that we don't have today. Yeah, they had different circumstances and yeah, they lived in a different time. But I don't think that their feelings, that their feelings were different. I don't think that their mindset was different in a sense of 
I think pain was still pain. I think heartache was still heartache. I think heartbreak was still heartbreak. I think anger was still anger. I think rage was still rage. I think frustration was still frustration then. And I'm sure that they felt felt all of those things. And the Bible says that they begin to sing praises and sing hymns at midnight, at midnight. And as they're singing praises and singing hymns, the Bible says all the prisoners were listening. And then suddenly there was a massive earthquake where the prison was shaken to its foundations. And I think the point that God is trying to speak out to us and let us know in this moment is that the peace that he gives us comes in our most uncomfortable moments. God's peace does not come when everything is all right. God's joy does not come when everything is fine. You won't experience the joy of God while you are, while you just got your stimulus check, while you just got your taxes and you just got paid all in the same day. It wouldn't seem as though you need the joy of God in that situation. You are very happy at that moment. Some of you. <laughs> and so what we see is that it's in our most uncomfortable positions that the joy of God can be expressed, can be felt, can be experienced. And that the peace of God can be felt, can be expressed, and can be experienced. But it's not just experienced in some random way. It's experienced, it seems by them, or through their example, it seems that it's experienced through effort. It seems that it's experienced intentionally. It seems that they chose joy. They chose peace. They chose to sing. And I and this speaks to me because I hit a lot of pockets in my life where I'm not okay mentally. Where I'm not okay in my mind, I'm not okay in my heart, I'm not okay with my circumstances. I'm not okay with trusting in this moment. I'm not okay with feeling what I feel in this moment. I'm just not okay. And it's hard for me a lot of times to find peace and to find joy because I thought that peace and that joy would just come through happenstance. I thought that I could just lay in the bed, soak in my sorrows, feel what I feel and go through what I go through. And then one day just boop, God would just throw peace at my face or throw joy at my face. And Paul and Silas is teaching me in this story that I've got to choose it and that I choose it through praise. Now, I'm not telling you to do what all the other preachers would tell you to do. Get up, shout, run around three times, go scream. Your praise is your weapon. All those things like that. I, none of that stuff is applicable to me. What's applicable to me is they chose to sing praises and to worship him despite what they felt. They didn't do it because they felt good. They did it because he was deserving. They did it because they understood him in the moment. And they did it because they couldn't understand the moment. I'm sure they couldn't understand why these things were happening. You see that later on when the, the jailer tries to free them. Paul snaps off and says, hold on, they tried to arrest us at night. You're going to do that to a Roman citizen? No, let them release us publicly. Paul was mad. Paul didn't understand. Paul was frustrated. His singing had nothing to do with his understanding. His praise had nothing to do with his understanding. His worship had nothing to do with his understanding. All of it had to do with the fact that one, God is worthy. And two, I don't know what is going on. Y'all hear me on that. One, God is worthy. Two, 
I have no idea why this is going on. In my most confused and uncomfortable time, there is one truth that remains. God is still worthy of praise. In my most ignorant time, there is one truth that remains. God is still worthy of praise. So because he's worthy of praise, I'm going to command my soul to worship him. What does this look like for you? While you're at home and while you're going through the mental agony that you go through a lot of times, a lot of us, if, if we are going to be honest, a lot of us, you are not mentally there every day. You are not mentally present every day. You're not mentally present with your kids every day. You're not mentally present with your job every day. You're not mentally present in your marriage every day. And you're for sure not mentally present in church a lot of times. In those moments where I find myself being overwhelmed with what I'm overwhelmed with, I, I command myself to praise. I just simply start to thank him. I simply start to thank him. And if you're anything like me, a lot of times that is hard. It is hard to just open up your mouth when you feel what you feel a lot of times. It's hard to just speak out praises and to do all those things when you feel the stuff you feel in the moment you feel it. It's hard to say thank you when you have no idea what you're even thankful for in the moment. But all you really need to know is that he's worthy of it. He deserves it. He's deserving of it. And so you force out a thank you and you go into repetition with it. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for my breath. I thank you, God, for giving me my mind. I thank you, Father, that I'm not dead. I thank you, Lord, that my children are still here. I thank you, Lord, that even though my marriage is in a wreck, you still allow this moment and you still give us a new breath and a new mercy every day. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. If you can't say the things that you're thankful for, just start to tell him thank you. And don't do it haphazardly. Don't just do it just to do it. Don't just do it like they do in church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really? talk to a person because he's a person really get him in your heart get him in your mind put him in front of you and say thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you catch yourself really saying that this sounds really crazy to a lot of you but this is really practical when they're singing these hymns they're really singing to somebody when is the last time you actually believed the words you were singing when is the last time you were actually believing and actually talking to somebody when you were worshiping? You know, you, we sing Todd Tribbett song, I Love You Forever. And, and we just sing it to sing it really good. But when's the last time you were actually saying that to him? When you actually put him on your heart, put him in your mind, um, I hate to say it like this, but almost imagine him in front of you. He becomes real. And then what you say to him becomes real. Then you can praise. Then you can worship. Then you can talk. Let it become real to you. Before I preach, I preach in a lot of youth settings. And I've, and I, and I've been in some crazy settings. I've been in some crazy different things. Before I preach, one of the things that I do is I have the people in the audience close their eyes and get very quiet. I have them just stop everything. And if the minstrel's playing and I can tell he's in tune with the spirit and he's not just playing anything and he's like in the moment and he's and he's and he's hearing what he's playing, I allow him to keep playing. If I notice that he's everywhere, I stop him too. And I have everybody just get quiet and I say, close your eyes. And I want you to imagine Jesus in front of you. 
If anybody else around you is distracted, you let them be distracted. Give everything that you have to this moment right now. Imagine him in front of you. Picture him. And there's a quiet moment in the audience. And you can imagine you got 100 people in the room. That's locked in. And I said, do you see him? Now, talk to him. Tell him thank you. Open your mouth and tell him thank you. Don't do it in your mind. Do it out your mouth. You don't got to yell. You don't got to scream. You ain't got to run around the building. Stop all that. Talk to him. When I do that, I promise you the presence of God that seeps into a room becomes so real because what you didn't notice was you always used God or talked to God like he was an object. We never really talk to God like he's actually real. He's a real person. He's really God, but he's a real person. And Paul and Silas caught the reality of who he was so that even though their skin is in shreds, they're still singing. They're still singing. They sing and they sing. And their praise, they're singing so strong that the Bible says all the prisoners are listening. Because the prisoners don't have a reason to praise. They don't know what to thank. They don't know what gratefulness is in this moment. There's nothing that we are grateful for. And they're marveling at Paul and Silas. How can you say in such a bad situation? How can you have peace in such an uncomfortable moment? And I don't think Paul and Silas, Silas are singing to the crowd. They're not like the praise and worship leaders we have now to say, get up and lift your filthy hands and give them some praise and open up your stinking mouth. They're talking directly to him. So much so that people are joined in in worship. And even though they're not worshiping out of their mouths, they're worshiping with admiration because how can you sing in an uncomfortable situation like this? They sing so much that the foundations of the prison start to shake. An earthquake happens and all the prisoners' chains fell off. Every prisoner. The earth shook in every one, not just the two that were singing, but the ones that were catching the picture. <laughs> Their chains fell off. Their chains fell off and the doors swung open, which means that they now had a way out. They weren't just free, but they were given access to leave. But I think this is the most powerful part of the, of the, of the, of the whole story. They were given access to leave. They were free. But the Bible says they didn't move. They were given access to leave. They were free. But the Bible says they didn't move. So this means that they stayed in the prison, even though they had the option to go. Even though they had the option to leave, they stayed in the prison. When you come into the peace of God and you come into understanding who he really is, one of the things you're going to understand is that God's not always trying to snatch you out. And we preach that, we get happy about that, we make you shout, we make you scream. But what if I told you a lot of times the way God wants to deal with you is by leaving you in? I know. Don't unfollow. Don't stop watching. 
What if I told you that God's way of helping you right now is by leaving you in? Is by leaving you in. They understood that they actually had a purpose for being in the prison. They sung until they, y'all better catch what I'm saying right now. They understood that they had a purpose to be in the prison. Their purpose in the prison was not for pain. Their purpose in the prison was for the prison guard. It was for him and his whole household. So the Bible says that when the prison guard came down, he was getting ready to kill himself because he said, oh, they had the they had the chance to leave. They you know, they took that chance. Why would they stay? They had a chance to leave. You know, they took that chance. Paul says. <laughs> Paul says. Wow, God just dropped something on me so heavy. Paul says, hold on. Don't take your sword out. Don't kill yourself. We are all still here. The prison guard looks in the room, sees them. And the Bible says he near about falls to his knees. He fell down to his knees and he trembles. And he says, what do I have to do to be saved? You know what made him want to be saved? It wasn't that there was an earthquake and all the chains fell off. It wasn't that they sung until there was an earthquake. It wasn't that God moved the world around. It was that those men stayed in the prison a little bit longer just for him. Those men stayed in the prison a little bit longer just for him. He realized how loved he was by God. That it had nothing to do with those men and those men didn't love him that much, but it was God that loved him that much that he kept them. And made them stay in that prison just a little bit longer just for him. And he fell down trembling, saying, what do I have to do to be saved? You see, what will attract people to our walk in our life is not always the miracles and not always the signs and not always the wonders, but it's how we respond to our God in times where everything hurts where everything is falling down what do we say what do we do do we sing in the midst of pain do we choose and be intentional about going after peace and going after the joy of the lord even though everything is jacked up and none of this none of this stuff makes sense do we pursue him even when things don't make sense do we understand that there's purpose in what we're feeling right now? Do we understand that the object is not always to just get out, but to praise in it? I know that sounds cliche because we just abuse that. But do you understand the power of just thanking him while you feel what you feel until you are healed? I don't know when that'll happen. I don't know when your heart is going to stop hurting. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when you're going to start to feel okay when you hear that person's name again. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when you're going to start to feel okay with what they said now. I don't know when you're going to start to feel okay with what you lost. I don't know. But I know one thing. I know that if you praise and I know that if you love him and I know that if you worship him and you do it despite what you cognitively understand, you do it. This, you do it despite what you feel. You do it despite what you see. If you do it 
and just thank him and make it a habit and push yourself to do it. The God of peace will keep your heart and your mind. So Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. I told you all this before. In Acts, in uh, Philippians chapter four, in, in his letter to the Philippians, he says to them in Philippians chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious for anything. This is this is this is verse six of Philippians chapter four. He said, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be careful for anything. But everything that you have in your life, everything that you feel, everything that you're going through, everything that's in your mind, everything that's overwhelming you, everything that you have right now. Take that to God in prayer. And then add on to that supplication you just did. Add on to that thankfulness. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. He said, tell him everything you feel. Tell him everything that hurts you. Tell him what you feel about him. Even if it's negative, tell him everything. And then when you are done, don't you end it without adding on thankfulness. He said, because what happens when you add on thankfulness, it begins to shift how you feel. It begins to shift what you're seeing. It begins to shift how you even understand the moment. Add thankfulness to this. Don't you do this without being thankful. Don't you do this without being thankful. He said, and when you add on thankfulness, verse seven, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, is going to keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Keep it. God has a way of keeping your heart until it gets healed. And that's what I call uncomfortable peace. You will be in the most uncomfortable position, even in your body, and you'll have an unusual peace. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll have an unusual peace. Because the God of peace is going to keep your heart, keep your mind. He has to keep your heart because you could be feeling heartbroken. I know what heartbreak feels like. And I know what torment in the mind feels like. And so God has to keep our heart. He has to hold it. You can't handle that pain. It's caused many to put a 40 to the head. It's caused many to take a bottle of pills. It's caused many to hang themselves. You can't handle that. He has to keep it. And then he keeps your mind. And he keeps it in Christ Jesus. And he teaches you how to set your mind on the right thing. No, it's not going to happen overnight. No, it's not easy. No, it's not. It's not. It's not ideal. But he'll give you peace that passes all understanding. Add on thankfulness with your prayer. I want to add one more admonishment to you. How much do you really pray? And when you pray, do you really pray? How much do we, because I'm talking to me, 
How much do we really pray? And when you pray, do you really pray? Now, here's the question. What do you mean really pray? Well, I ain't got I ain't got to speak in tongues and do all that stuff like y'all and da, 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 da. You are more than right. But I'm asking you, are you praying how Jesus said the Pharisees pray in vainless repetitions, thinking that God's going to hear you because of your many words? Or are you really talking to somebody? And are you really praying until a weight is lifted? I know God's teaching me how to. I don't got that down. But I'm learning. I don't feel the best. My mind is not in the best place a lot of times, but I'm learning. I'm just one of those people that will actually tell you that. A lot of more people feel that way. I'll just say it. No, I'm not okay. But I know that thankfulness added on to my supplication, what I pray to him for, everything I pour out to him. I know that he gives me a peace that's uncomfortable. I shouldn't be feeling peace right now. I should be feeling this. Why do I feel this peace? That's that uncomfortable peace that surpasses all understanding that he gives us that keeps our hearts in our minds and it helps us to stay in a hard situation longer. I know that just hurts you, but it helped Paul and Silas to stay in prison longer. What do you think it's going to do for you? Because it shows you your joy and your peace does not come from you getting free. No, your joy and your peace comes from a realization of who he really is. Do you know who we serve? God will give you uncomfortable peace. I pray that something was said that bless you. I pray that something was said that helps you. And I pray that you understand that God really can and really will give you peace that passes all understanding it's an uncomfortable kind of peace a peace that comes in the most uncomfortable of situations i'll see you guys later until next time go in god go in peace bye-bye